Hear the word of God from the beginning of 1 Samuel. There was a certain man from Ramathame whose name was Elkanah, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look at your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the Lord, the God of Israel, grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband Elkanah went up with his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah, a flower, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child. And the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. And the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. 
There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighted. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He, sets, he seats them with the princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. This is the word of the Lord. So good morning, Waypoint Church. Wow, it's so good to see your beautiful faces. I love seeing your smiling faces. I must say, you guys are a really beautiful bunch. And I mean that from all my heart. And I say that, yeah, not just because of Stanley. <laughs> but you guys are all beautiful. And I say that in all seriousness, and I mean it so much because I look out amongst you and it warms my heart to be able to preach and bring the word to you. The people I know, people we share life with, who do community with, who, who called together to walk alongside, people, a family that we're on mission together, that I get to be able to preach and share the word with all of you. Now, some of you new people here might be like, wait a minute, you don't know me. That's true. You might not be a part of that beautiful bunch I'm talking about. You might still be beautiful, but I'm specifically talking to the beautiful bunch you guys get to know. But that could also be you. I love the fact that we get to sing fellowship, pray, and grow together. I love it. One of the greatest honors of my life is to be able to be here with you, to preach the word and be a part of this family together. Just wanted to randomly share that as this beautiful bunch I look upon is just so much more beautiful every time I see them. Today we're continuing in our series in the history books of Samuel and Kings. Last week, Pastor Danny gave an overview of what the history books were and what's, what's going on during this time. Now, I know some of you hear the word history and you start getting drowsy already. It's like a gut response that some of you started in high school. You know, you're like, history. No, I mean, I get it. I'm often the same way. I understand that. It's okay. And I'm not saying this to excuse or be okay with you falling asleep during the sermon. I am saying this, that history could be really good. Now, some of you histor his historical historians and history buffs are like, of course it is, Lawrence, but I'm telling you in this way. And this is not just history. It's not random history. This is your story. This is God's story. Did you know that in the U.S. alone, sites like Ancestry.com and genealogy sites like that are a multi-billion dollar business, right? As a matter of fact, they said, I think it's over $5 billion was spent on looking up your genealogy, looking up your history. People want to know where they come from. They want to feel connected to a larger story. 
Well, can I tell you, my people, as people of God, we know exactly where we come from. We get to see the huge story that we're a part of, a grand narrative that is our history, our story. And it's an amazing story of a God who loves and is redeeming this world. Guys, when we say the history books, when we talk about Samuel, and I don't want you guys to think of just cool stories like David and Goliath, or I don't want your eyes to glaze over because you think of genealogies or boring lists of names. Guys, I want you to understand this, that the history stories are our stories. As people of God adopted into this family, these are our family members, our story. Do you get that? And to me, that's amazing. It connects me to something so much bigger. I, met my, I know my grandfather, I got to know him, but I don't know my great-grandfather. Never got to meet him. I don't know my great-great-grandfather. I don't know any of these people in my genealogy. I actually, my dad has a book he left with me before he moved. This huge book of like our list of names of our ancestors for a very long time. It means nothing to me. I mean, it's a valuable book. I'm like, I'm going to keep it. But I meant like, I don't know these names. They're just names. I don't know the story. But guys, I am a part of a bigger story. I have people in my history, in my genealogy, like David. Do you get that? It unites us as a family together if you truly understand that this is your story, your history. You guys hear what I'm saying? It's an amazing story we're a part of and know that you're connected to something bigger. In the book of 1 Samuel, we find ourselves following the period of Judges. And I hope you saw in our previous sermon series in the book of Judges, we were actually in the Judges not that long ago, that the people of Israel were on this incredible, horrendous downward spiral into moral decay. I mean, the end of Judges was so horrendous in its description of how far away the Israelite people were from God. Yet throughout the whole book, God continued to deliver his people by raising up Judges and coming to their rescue. Right after the book of Judges, you have this short little amazing story about Ruth. Right, so it's Judges happens, then Ruth, then comes First Samuel. And it's a beautiful story that just, it's a beautiful story, but you can be left wondering, why is it here? Right? Why is Ruth, it's a beautiful story, but it doesn't make sense. Right after Judges, right after Samuel, these are history books. Why is Ruth here? I mean, it makes sense for Samuel to be after Judges, because Samuel is seen as the last judge and the first prophet. Right? So it makes sense for Samuel to be after Judges, but why is Ruth after Judges? But that transition makes perfect sense. But this order is interrupted by a story about Ruth. Now, I don't have time to go into all that works into this, and I don't have time to talk all about the significance of Ruth. It's very significant. But I want you to know that this is intentional. Ruth interrupts, if you will, because it shows what God is doing in the background to bring forth his ultimate plan. And he uses an outsider woman to accomplish it. Out of Ruth and Boaz come forth King David, and more importantly, comes the line for King Jesus. So Ruth is this kind of in-between judges and Samuel to show you that it might seem like it's spiraling into moral decay. It might seem like things are out of control, but here is a God who works wonders, performs miracles, and in the background is bringing things together to show his redemptive plan. Book of Ruth is one of the favorite books. Guys, read it if you've never read it, but it's incredible. So now in 1 Samuel, it starts off with a long story about Hannah and her earnest desire to have a child. She longs for a child with everything she has. And we hear about her predicament and we mourn alongside her. Now, mind you, she was a part of an ungodly polygamous relationship. Yet this ungodly polygamous family was still seeking God in the midst of moral decay society around them. 
So there was still something redemptive happening. This family who's becoming like the culture around them, giving in to polygamy and all these other practices still said, but there's something inside of me. I remember about my ancestors. They told me about the God of Israel. And so they would still go and worship. But not only did they go and worship, but they actually went to a place where the sons of Eli were, were ministering at priests. And if you read chapter 3, we realize the sons of Eli were not very good priests. I'll venture to say, even in this passage, it starts off by Eli not seeming like a very good priest too, doesn't it? Eli's like, you drunk? <laughs> Probably not the best thing as a pastor to see somebody anguishing in prayer silently being like, why are you drunk? I'm making this example in first chapter, chapter one has a lot of bad examples of what not to do, mind you. Polygamous relationship, and then the husband looks at her, and she's anguished, and she's in mourning. She goes, am I not enough for you? Husband's not a good move. Don't do that. Don't say that. There's real mourning happening. There's anguish happening. Don't say, am I not enough for you? Mourn alongside. Grieve alongside. That's just a side note. You're welcome, husbands. But here comes this family from the middle of nowhere coming to worship and sacrifice. And we see Hannah praying in deep anguish, expressing her heart to God. The priest sees her and makes a stupid mistake and says, are you drunk? Now, you ever wonder, why does the Bible put that in the Bible? Has anybody wondered that? Like, seriously, why is that in the Bible? Why would, why would first of all, why would Eli say, that's the first, my first response, are you drunk? But then, too, why would the Bible writers even put this in the Bible? I'm going to add a little bit to this, why that's the case and the realm. We don't have time to get into that. So look on the realm. I'm going to write a little something about this and why I think this is in the Bible. I'm not exactly sure, but why I think it is. But I love that about the Bible, though, right? It keeps you on its toes, doesn't it? Random little things like, are you drunk? You're like, what? what? That's how awesome the Bible is. But Hannah replies to Eli and says, I haven't been drinking. I'm just a woman in anguish pouring out my soul to the Lord. I love how she said that. I love that phrase it says in the NIV translation. It says, pouring out her soul. Pouring out her soul to the Lord. In her anguish and many years of praying, she's left just pouring out her soul. Barrenness in the Bible is a common theme. On top of my head, you got Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel to name a few who struggled with barrenness in the Bible. The struggle often came in the form of social death or reproach. Some people could look at them and say, you're not able to have a child because you're sitting against God. Or you're an outcast because you're not having a child. In these previous cases of barrenness, in those in particular, it was a harbinger of a child who would be a divine leader. In other words, it seems as barrenness, while great in its difficulty, often led up to opportunity for God to miraculously provide for his people. Note, that provision may not always be a biological child, but can always, it has been, a miraculous provision. Do you hear what I'm saying? In these previous instances of barrenness as a theme in the Bible, it led to spiritual hurt and anguish and societal death and reproach and all these things. It was, it was difficult. It was hard. But in those other instances, it was, this, it was a harbinger of a child who brought forth miraculous leadership or deliverance. For God to provide miraculously for a way for his people to be provided for. But note that provision doesn't always have to be a biological child and answer, but it always has been, always will be a miraculous provision by God in his way, in his timing. Case in point, uh, the following video you're about to see. 
There's a video about to play. Hi, my name is Hillary Gilland, and I'm a member at Waypoint Church. And um, these are my sons, Ethan and Sean. And um, Lawrence uh, said, when he said he was preaching this sermon this week, he asked us to share our story about how we came to adopt. Our story started when we were um, in our late 20s, when we both finished college and we decided that we were ready to have a family. And um, <clears throat> when we, mo we moved to North Carolina, expecting uh, to be able to have children, and we bought a big house and we were all ready. And um, friends of ours were having children just wasn't happening for us. Um, we went to different doctors and we tried different things. And um, just every every step of the process was just, it was always a no. Like they, there was something would go wrong and the doctors really couldn't explain why, what was happening, but it was, it was just always a no. It was just really sad, um, isolating time. Just we were happy. We were we were happy for all of our friends that were having children, but we just always always felt like you know something was missing. And I would even pray that uh, to for God to, to take away the desire for me to not want to have children. Uh, you know, I would actually pray and say, God, please please make me not want to have a child. But God never never did, and so I I just always felt like. I was supposed to be a mother. Through all the fertility treatments though, it just it just never felt like that was what God wanted for us. So um, when we finally decided to stop fertility treatments, I, it was pretty emotionally grueling time, but we, I decided to pray that day that, um, that, I, that I would follow God's path, that I would stop trying to do it my way and follow God's path. That's when God led us to adoption. And we met a friend who had adopted from China. And um, I remember calling the agency and the, the, the lady on the phone saying, um, if, if you would be willing to take a boy, there's many boys that need homes in China, which was just amazing to me because uh, we had waited so long. And so to hear somebody saying that you won't have to wait was just the most wonderful thing. So I just immediately knew like God gave me the peace um, at that moment to know that this was the right decision that God wanted us to adopt. It was a pretty difficult process to adopt, a lot of paperwork. Um, and throughout the process, I was really busy that year. And um, but I just always felt um, the Lord telling me that I have, I have a child picked out for you, and I just, I just knew it. God just kept telling me that I have this child picked out for you, and um, so we finally finished our paperwork. It felt like we had filled out the same forms five thousand times, and then um, we were matched with Ethan, and um, it was just the most ex amazing experience to get to adopt Ethan. And then a few years later, um, <laughs> we got to adopt Sean. Um, so <laughs> we just felt like, um, you know, it was just God's plan for us. It was just orchestrated and um, it was the timing of everything worked out with being able to adopt. But I, I think that um, 
the one thing I always remember through the process is that um, God hears you and he, you should continue to cry out to God when you have a desire that uh, he cares about you and he loves you. And when we were adopting Ethan, I was studying um, studying about how God's people were wandering through the desert and I just remember thinking like God still loves me and cares about me even though I feel like this is taking forever and I wish it would go faster but yeah God um, hears me and cares about me this struggle I am grateful for that you know that we had this struggle because I wouldn't have Ethan and Sean and I tell everybody that I'm grateful that we we were not able, we were not able to conceive a child because it brought us Ethan and Sean. So that's our story, and um, we're happy to be able to share it with others. Yeah, All right. love that family. Now back to Samuel. God provided Hannah with a child. I'll end up being the last judge and the first prophet. He's using the prayers of a faithful, long-suffering woman to accomplish an incredible feat. He'll bring forth the line of kings that will one day bring forth the ultimate king. Hannah's prayer, chapter 2, that we read earlier, is a prayer of victory and confidence in the Lord. She can't help but exclaim such praise and joy in the Lord. But mind you, this was after years of long-suffering, praying. So how do we do that? How do we suffer through years of unanswered prayer? How do you do it? How do you keep on praying when your prayers don't seem to be answered? How do you keep on believing when it seems like all you're asking for, all you're hoping for, for all you're wanting doesn't seem to be coming true? How do you do it? How did Hannah keep doing it? I want to give you three things really quickly on how you do this. Number one, you have to remember God's faithfulness and character. Know who he is and remember his character and his faithfulness. The reality is that Hannah was living in a time where people were forgetting left and right, but she chose to remember his character and his faithfulness. She chose to go to the God of her fathers and her ancestors. She chose to believe that he was the only one that could answer her prayers. He was the only one who could meet her needs, and he was willing to, and he was the only one good enough to. He chose to remember the God who was faithful through past generations and chose to believe he would be faithful again. She looked at his character and remembered him. My people, do you remember the goodness of a God who saved a wretch like me? Do you understand the loving kindness of a Savior God that overlooked your sins and separated them as far as the east is from the west? So when you're praying and your prayers don't seem to be answered the way you want it to be, Maybe then the question isn't, why aren't you answering my prayers? Will you then look at the character of the God you're praying to and then say, maybe this is something better is in store for me or something different? It's this idea of giving the benefit of the doubt based on character. You know, husbands and wives, you often will fight because maybe sometimes you'll hear something and you don't take the benefit of the doubt in each other. You don't give each other the benefit of the doubt. My wife might say something to me. And I'll be like, oh, that's mean. And I respond defensively. But what I should be doing is knowing her character, trusting her heart and knowing her character, I should give her the benefit of that because she did not mean it that way. Does that make sense? 
So if the answer to your prayer isn't what you want it to be, do you trust the character of God to say there might be something different for you? Do you know the character of God to trust it? Have you seen it? Have you experienced it? My people today, if you don't know the character of God, if you don't know who this God is, let me tell you that there is something inside of you. You were created in the very image of God. I want you to hear this. Mankind was created in the image of God, so there is something that longs for the eternal inside of you, something that longs for God, to know God inside of you. And you're made that way. You're made for relationship with the eternal for God. You're made to be known. You're made to be loved. You're made to have purpose. And can I tell you that only in Christ, knowing the character of God, can you see Christ can show you the fullness of the character of God. And in knowing Jesus, you can know the character of God, a character that is full of grace and justice, walking in tension. A character that shows love and forgives to the nth degree. And if you're sitting here today and you don't know what it's like to be known and to be loved and to be called to purpose, that is your opportunity. This is your opportunity today to know that. To know who the character of God is. To know the Jesus that brings you into relationship with this God. So that you can confidently see no matter what happens, I know the character of my good, good father. He's findable today. He wants a relationship with you. And there's a time later on that we're going to call for, for a time of prayer. If you want to know who this God is, if you want a relationship, if you want to explore what it means to even be known, that idea is so foreign. It's so crazy. The idea of to actually be known and loved is so ridiculous to you, but you would love it. Something in your heart yearns for it. There'll be a time later that I want you to pray for it and see how God moves in that prayer. Number two, how do you keep on praying when the prayers are unanswered? It's by living in the tension of grieving and trusting. It's by living in the tension of grieving and trusting. Most of you know that I love that word tension. Most of you guys know this. I believe that is a state that we're mostly called to live in. It's like a violin string. If it's too loose, the sound is so flat and horrible, it barely stays on the violin. But if it's too tight, it can pop at any moment. It's too high pitched. It's not the right sound. But if it's in the right amount of tension, if it's tight, the right amount of tightness, it makes beautiful music. Guys, I believe that most of the Christian life is like that. That we're called to live in tension. And it's one of the things that we're called to hold in tension is grieving yet trusting. It's okay to grieve the loss of something or, or the yearning for something that you have not gotten yet. It's okay that one grieves and grieves over infertility because it's hard and it's tough. And the answer isn't to tell that person, stop grieving, just trust God. What's wrong? No, no, that's not the answer. The answer is to say, it's okay to grieve, it's okay to mourn and lament. It's okay to hold that, but also hold it in tension with trust. Trust that God is good. Trust that there's something bigger that we don't know, that we can't see. My wife and I took our kids to Great Wolf Lodge as a surprise. They didn't know where we were going. But before we, we left to go there, um, one of the boys asked me to take him to the pool. I said, yeah, can we go to the pool? I said, no, 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 trust me. I got, I got something better in store for you. We're going to we'll go do something else. And this one boy was bummed. He was like, oh, I want to go to the pool. I'm like, he's so grieving. He was like, I just want to go to the pool. I want to go take me to the pool. I'm like, dude, I got something so much better than you. Just trust me. He held intention in that moment that he grieved over the pool. He grieved over not being able to go swimming, but he trusted his dad. His dad's been faithful in the past. They've done fun stuff together. His dad said, there's something better? Okay, there's something better than the pool. I don't know how. I can't see it right now. 
the pool seems pretty awesome. But okay, my dad said something better. Let me hold that. So I'll grieve the loss of the pool, but I'll hold intention to the fact that I trust my dad. Does that make sense? Does that make sense at all? I hope it does. You can hold intention the fact that God has not answered your prayer yet. You can hold that with grief and lament and hurt and sorrow. But hold it with trust. Because when you hold it with trust and with hope, that means you can keep on praying. Amen? Amen. Number three. How do we keep on praying for our answered prayers with hope and trust? We accept his kingship. We accept his kingship. Here's the thing. We may talk a lot about the kingdom. We may talk about having a king. But most of us in America, we don't really understand what that means. Right? We don't have kings. And the ones we hear about are like more political figureheads. A king back in the day was someone who, would, who now we would see as a dictator. A king ruled completely. A king was fully in charge. And these are foreign and tough concepts for us. And I'm going to be honest with all of you guys. I believe the reality is most of us want the kingdom without the king. Can I say that again? Most of us want the kingdom without the king. We want the benefits of an awesome kingdom, right? We want the justice and the mercy and the righteousness and the joy. We want the benefits of of peaceful streets of an awesome kingdom. But we don't want the king. Not really. Not someone who is in charge, who tells us what to do. Because so often, many of us, we want to be king. We want to be in charge. So we demand from God. Hear me well, there is a difference between asking and demanding. You guys with me on that? There is a difference between asking and demanding. God wants us to ask. He wants us to ask. It's good that we ask. He wants us to ask. When we ask, we acknowledge who has the power, who is in charge, that we don't deserve. We just, he just, we just ask in need as a child. When we demand, we think we earn, we deserve, we have the power, we're in charge, you should give me. Do you see the difference? You guys see the difference? You can tell a major difference whether you're asking or demanding by the way you respond by not getting what you want. You with me so far? So if you don't get what you ask for, then often it could lead to grief. It could lead to sorrow. It could, it could be hard for you. It could be tough. It could be rough. Don't get me wrong. That's, all those emotions are good and they're real and you can, you can feel them and own them. But when you demand, when you demand and you don't get what you want, it could lead to temper tantrums, throwing a fit, saying stuff like, forget about you then. Then you're demanding. Do you see the difference? It's subtle, but it's so important. If he is your king, then you accept the will of your king. Can I say that again? If he is your king, then you learn to say your will be done and not mine. If he is your king, then you choose to trust the goodness and the righteousness of the king that has a bigger viewpoint than you do. That he's the supreme being in charge and you trust his kingship, not your own. Doesn't mean you don't grieve. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean you can't ask away. It does mean that you don't have to, you can't demand. Because when your demand is broken, then you, are, you, you respond like a, tea, a baby, a toddler throwing a tantrum. You deserve. 
my people, may we not hesitate to be long-suffering in our prayer life. May we continue to pray for the prayers that seem not to be answered by knowing his character, living in the tension of grief and trust, and accepting his kingship. Waypoint, today, in light of this sermon and leading up to communion, I want us to do something that's a little different. I hope this doesn't make too many of you feel uncomfortable, but I feel compelled to do this, even at the risk of making some of you uncomfortable. One of the incredible benefits of being in community together, being a family together, is that our long-suffering prayers don't have to be ours alone. Do you hear me? That's one of the benefits of being in community together is that your prayers that you're suffering through and grieving through and doing alone, they don't have to be yours alone. You don't have to carry that burden all by yourself. It can be carried alongside with your brothers and your sisters who want to carry it with you. We can share and we can pray them together with our family. So that's what I want us to do this morning. In a bit, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray for preparing your heart for communion, confessing of sin. I'm going to ask you to pray for those prayers. But for some of you guys, I'm going to ask you to do something a little different. For some of you who are struggling with long, unanswered prayers, for some of you guys who are struggling with grief and sorrow over prayers that don't seem to be answered, for some of you guys who are praying a continuous prayer, I'm going to invite you to share it with our people. So what I'm going to ask you to do while people are closing their eyes in prayer, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And I'm going to ask Waypoint's prayer team to be strategically positioned around. And when you stand up, people are going to come around you and they want to pray with you. You don't have to tell them anything. You can tell them something. And there's more people standing up than I'm going to ask the people around them to pray with them. But what I want us to do is practice this idea that unanswered prayer can still be prayed because we live in the tension of grief and trust. And in community, our prayers are heard and we don't have to bear them alone. Does that make sense? You guys with me so far? Now, once again, for those who are here for the first time, you're like, oh, man, this is weird. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just am. But I'll, go, I'll let you suffer through a little weirdness for the sake of praying for our people. And it's not every Sunday. So we try another Sunday out, too. <laughs> Let's do that. Can we, can we do that, people? Can I get an amen? Not every hand affirmation. Amen. So here's what I want you guys to do. Go ahead and close your eyes. Go ahead and close your eyes. And if there's a prayer that's been unanswered in your heart, pray it now. Pray for God to move and to respond. But now for those of you, if you're here today in this room and there's been long unanswered health prayer or long on this prayer that you've been asking for God to do it, he just hasn't done yet. Maybe there's someone that you want to know Jesus so bad, but that prayer hasn't been answered yet. Maybe there's a hurt that you have that you haven't been healed from yet. Maybe there's sickness, maybe there's illness, maybe whatever it may be, if you're here today, maybe you're barren and you want a child, whatever it may be. If you have long unanswered prayer that you're just crying out to God and you want, you'd share it with our people and carry that burden together, I just ask you, just say wherever you're at, you can just stand up. That's all you have to do. You don't have to do anything else. Just, just stand up. And let our people come around you. Let our people come around you and pray. So if, you, if our prayer team could make it to the people that's around them. And when you surround these people. And if you're, if you're sitting next to these people and you feel compelled to pray, please reach out to them. 
Reach out to them, pray with them. And while that's happening, while our people are praying for each other, while people are praying, will you yourself sit down in your place? Will you, whatever it may be, will you join your hearts with them in prayer? You might not know what's going on, but will you share your hearts and say, God, whatever's happening, whatever's going on, will you move? Will you answer? As you yourself struggle through at times, will you invite others? Will you pray for others? As, long as, you, as well as yourself. God, we come to you during this time knowing that our words and our prayers is not a, a magic formula. It's not a ritual. It's not a list of words that just we say that there's power in any of these words. We come because there's power in you. We turn to you, God, because you are our only source. You are our only hope. So we turn to you in prayer. God, so we come before you, our God, knowing that in prayer we know your character, we trust your goodness, we accept you as king, and we ask from hearts that know you and trust you for you to do a mighty work in our lives. God, I pray for an end of addiction. God, I pray against addiction, and I pray against, God, the things of sorrows and hurts caused by addiction. God, I pray an end to health issues and concerns. I pray for healing that's been long-suffering the bodies of our people. God, I pray for family members who are, who, are, who are far away from you and friends who are far away from you. God, I pray for financial issues and concerns. God, I pray for broken relationships that need to be mended. And God, we don't pray these things expecting you as a genie to fulfill every wish in our command. We accept your will as king, but God, we know that you hear our prayers, you hear our hearts, and God, we know that you will move mightily, God, and you are a good father who hears the prayers of his people, and you use prayer as your means of enacting your will. So we ask you to move, and we hold in that tension, God, that when you don't answer, it doesn't mean you don't love. It just means that there's something different. And we trust in that. So we thank you, Father, for being good. A God who hears prayers and who calls us to pray. We love you. We accept you as king. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.